Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Spirit of Prophecy podcast. Appreciate you joining me for another day. Hope you learned something in today's program and get a blessing from it. And we are going to talk about the subject today of the last days. The last days. How many times have you heard preachers get up and start talking about current events and they talk about it like it's a sign of the last days that we are in the last times. And that, I'm going to tell you, is not technically right when we do that kind of thing. We should never take current events like that and then use the term last days as if it's something unique and, and different. That term last days, if we are going to use it, we need to use it the way the Bible use it. Now, I do believe we're in the last days, as do most preachers. Most preachers are going to agree with what I'm going to say about this. They're going to, they would agree with much of what I'm going to say in this particular podcast, even if they're from the pre-trib world, that the last days, without a doubt, started in the first century. But here's the problem that we have today is many people, and I'm sure I have been guilty of this too, because we have a, we all have a lot of bad habits because we read way too many books about end times instead of just reading what the scriptures say about end times. And so we've got a lot of bad habits, a lot of bad terminology. But often when a preacher gets up and they say, ah, you know, you hear about the scientists, they're developing the microchip. They can put it in the right hand now. You're going to be able to it'll have all your information. It can track you. Uh, you, you can pay for stuff. Uh, you, you, all this stuff's going to happen. Uh, Late Great Planet Earth, uh, Hal Lindsey, Left Behind series. We're going to disappear any moment. I mean, they'll go into all that stuff, right? Well, here's the thing. If you mean last days by the moments before the rapture, you're wrong. You can't do that. That is not the way the scripture does it. And what people do, they're going to go to the scriptures we're going to look at where it talks about the last days. And they will like, that's right now. We're seeing more of that than we've ever seen before. The problem is all those scriptures, they were not you, they they did not write those things speaking of a future time. They were speaking of their present time. So you cannot go and take those things and make it like. We've got to be that much closer. You can't use those as signs of the rapture. You can't do that. Yes, those are signs we are in the last days, but we were in the last days in the first century. And so I want to go through these things here and talk about something that I think we should all agree on and probably do all agree on. And typically, too, when you call preachers out for misusing these terms, they will typically admit it. This is an area where they admit, yeah, no, I, I agree. You know, this is what I was saying. And we, we've all done it, but it's not right. And it's, it's misleading when we do this kind of thing. But uh, I, I want us to go through these passages because there's, there's something we're missing. Now, let's start out looking at last days in the New Testament, okay? And just to show that we've been in the last days, we've either been in the last days for the last... 2,000 years, or the last days happened in the first century. The preterists will tell you it all happened in the first century and that it ended at the destruction of Jerusalem. I disagree with that. Here's, here's what, one of the many reasons I believe we are still in the last days and that the last days did not end in the first century. And that is because the conditions describing the last days are identical to the days that we are still currently living in. 
Nothing has changed. If that was a reference to just stuff in that first century, we should have seen a change after the first century. But no, we're seeing things continuing the same way because we are still in the last days. So when we see some of these things that we're going to see mentioned in here, when you see them again today, it doesn't mean, oh, man, we're, we're that much closer. No, it means we're still there. That's what it really means. Let's, let's be accurate. Okay, so Acts 2, verse 16. This is at Pentecost when the Holy Ghost is being poured out on them. It says, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. So he is about to quote something that's future, but he's saying this is it. He's saying this is the fulfillment. And it says, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God. Joel said this. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. That happened. It was happening that day. And they said, this is it. And what what happened was something God said would happen in the last days, meaning they were in the last days at Pentecost. And then he refers to the sun being dark and moon turned to blood, which I believe is the sixth seal. I believe that will end the last days. I believe, and I'm going to show you this in a little bit too, the last days, plural. I believe the last day of those days, what ends the last days is the resurrection. And I believe the resurrection takes place right after the sun is darkened and the moon is turned to blood. And so it's interesting how he throws that in there because that is the event that ends the last days. That will be the last day of the last days. And, and, and so we'll see more about that in a little bit. But Second Peter, or not Second Peter, Second Timothy 3.1. This know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, resistant, being to parents, unthankful, unholy. And he goes and he names a whole bunch of stuff that um, is going to happen. And for sure, we can see all of that today. But you know what? They could in Paul's day too. And that's why he was preaching about it. That's why he was talking about it. And if it's not clear enough in 2 Timothy 3, Hebrews 1, God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. So right there, without a doubt, he's saying there in the, in that first century that they were in the last days. In these last days, this is how God has spoken to us. In James chapter 5, it says, Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl, for your misery shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold is cankered. It sounds like he's talking present here too. And the rest of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. And so notice as he's kind of like, you know, calling these people out and preaching this judgment on them, he says, you've heaped treasures for the last days. And he's saying this in context of stuff that is coming on them and going on right then during that time. So again, without a doubt, the last days were, were back then. In Second Peter Chapter 3, uh, let me get over to Second Peter chapter 3 and show you what it says. It says, the second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, 
that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of our Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. And we're not going to go through all that passage, but he said that in the last days, the scoffers were going to come. And and he said, and it, it was, and he gives good indication here too, this kind of thing was going to be going on for a while because they're going to say, since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they, they were from the beginning of creation. He said, a time's going to come when people scoff at the idea of a, a return of Jesus Christ. And I believe that was stuff that was going on then during that time. All these times when they're going to these things about the last days, they are saying it, showing their people we are in those last days. So understand, preachers are not wrong to point out these things and show them today, but let's not act like our last days are different from their last days. Let's not act like the last days they describe there, we are the ones going through them while they were not. No, we are going through the same last days, which is, again, another reason I do not believe the last days was just something in the first century. This is the condition that we are still in today. So there are last days. Say, so, well, how will we know when this thing's about to wrap up? Well, I don't know for sure if we will. I mean, no one, no man knows the day or the hour. You know, we see too, uh, when it comes to the resurrection, he uses the term last day. If we look up the use of the term last day, we see that mainly uh, in the gospel of John. And let's let's go look at some references to the last day in John. But in John 6.39, says, And this is the Father's uh, will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. It's that resurrection. That's going to be a single day when that happens. Uh, verse 44, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Verse 54, Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. In John eleven twenty four, Martha saith unto him, I know, uh, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection in the last day. So, again, we are in the last days. You say, well, how, when, when is the last day? How do we know we're in the last day? When we hear the trumpet sound. That'll be the, that'll be the last day, you could say. And so, uh, until then, until the trumpet sounds, we are. We're just kind of in these last days, and the conditions are the same. And every time things get bad, every time things get worse, we're always like, something special. This is, this is, this is a unique last day. No, and I'm telling you, even though I am a, you know, a pre-wrath guy, I am not convinced that, you know, we are going to know for sure when it is, it's about, everything's about to go down. I'm not convinced of that. All the things that we see are things that have been going on since the first century. It does appear there's a few unique things like with the man of sin being revealed and all that kind of stuff. But I'm not convinced that every saved person is even going to realize that's going on because we do have a call to watch. 
And, you know, and if, um, in Revelation, it says, if thou will not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, I think is what it says, which tells me if we do watch, he won't come on us as a thief. So uh, I think it's very possible for believers to not see a lot of these things coming. I, I think that's I think that's very likely. Another term that we see in the Bible is the term the last time. And now this is interesting too, but if we go to 1 John chapter 2, and this is just a reminder too, we don't, again, we're, we're real bad at using Bible terminology like the Bible uses it. We're very bad at, we're, we're very bad at that. And I believe it caused a lot of confusion. For example, uh, the term antichrist. Okay? Did you know that term is only used in First and Second John? That's it. But yet, and, and I'm no exception to this, you, you go listen to anyone's Revelation series, including mine, and just see how many times they will use the word antichrist, even though Revelation never uses that term, Daniel never uses that term. Why don't we use the terms that the Bible uses? You go listen to anybody preach on Daniel, they keep saying antichrist, 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 revelation, antichrist, antichrist, but that's never in there. Which tells me our theology has been influenced by textbooks. We gotta watch out for that. And so when we go to, uh, and just to show, I'm gonna show you too, we rarely use the term antichrist the way John did. And again, John who wrote Revelation is also the one who wrote First and Second John. And John never used the term antichrist in the book of Revelation. But, yeah, and, I'm, and I'm not even telling you it's technically wrong to do that. I'm just saying, what is, what is influencing our terminology? Is it our study of the scriptures or is it textbooks? I believe it's textbooks. And I think we need to get away from that. But in 1 John 2, 18, it says, little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. So he said, we know it's the last time because now there are many antichrists. In verse 22, who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Uh, chapter 4 and verse 3, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God, and this is that spirit of Antichrist, where have ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. So notice how he used the fact that there were then, in that day, Antichrist, he says, so we know we're in the last days because of that. And you know, and he said, you have heard that Antichrist shall come, and so some will say that's referring to the Antichrist. But again, was he talking about the Antichrist? Or was he talking about the spirit of Antichrist that he also referred to? That the spirit of Antichrist would come. And again, I'm not saying it's technically wrong, but again, why don't we say the beast? Why don't we say the man of sin, the son of perdition? Why don't we use those terms uh, that you know we see in the passages about end times? I'm just saying we got to watch out for that. Uh, I think we can uh, get ourselves an error. And here's the thing too. An Antichrist is one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. And isn't that interesting? Because, you know, in Jude, we see too, and this is, this is interesting, this shows pre-trivers and pro-Israel people just don't read their Bibles and don't uh, take them literally. But, you know, you 
you go to any pre-trib church, and my church has done this, and, and you know what? We'll still continue to do this because I don't think it's technically wrong. How many of you ever heard that when Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door that you should be rude to them? Do not tell them goodbye. Do not bid them Godspeed. You're, otherwise, you're a partaker of their evil deeds. And I was always taught when a JW comes to your house, you know, after you try to give them the gospel, after you tell them off or whatever, don't even say goodbye because that is, that's a blessing. And, and, and I've, I've practiced that before. When they come, it's always weird. It's always awkward, but I'll just say something like, we're done. Time to go. I don't say goodbye. I don't give them any kind of greeting like that. And I think that is correct. I think it's accurate. I think we should be that way. But yet, if we apply that same thing to the very people John said we should apply it to, people will get offended. And what did John say? Because they weren't Jehovah's Witnesses in John's day. Okay? They've only been around for like the last hundred years. But in 2 John 1.7, it says, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is deceiver and antichrist. Jump down to verse 10. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed, for he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. And you know how many Christian organizations there are out there supporting antichrist? Um, you call them Jews. Okay? That, you know, they say they are Jews that are not, but do lie. They're actually antichrist, and many Christians are out there blessing them, supporting them. That is in direct violation to what John said, because you don't even know what antichrists are. You only know about the Antichrist, and one of the reasons you hate the Antichrist so much is because you think he's going to be mean to the Jews. That doesn't even make sense, and that, but that's what's being taught in a lot of places, and this just goes to show, again, you don't get your theology from the Scriptures. You get them from textbooks. You do not use words the way the Bible uses them, and it's embarrassing. So when we see these references to last time in First and Second John, it's in reference to Antichrist. We see in 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1 and look what it says in verse 3. Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord uh, Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, is that referring to something in the future? No, it's something that was in, the, in that day. I'll show you. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, so now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptation, uh, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found under the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, Ye love, and whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Watch this. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed, that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them 
that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things angels desire to look into. And it's important to understand what he's saying there. The salvation that they experienced, that they received, was a salvation that the prophets wrote about. It was a prophets that the saints of old believed in. And I believe were even saved by, but they did not have the full understanding like we do today. And so we are in these last days, we are in a much better situation where we do, we have a fuller, clearer picture of the gospel, but it doesn't mean we are the first people that were ever saved, which is what a lot of dispensational people, they act like it's like a new salvation, a new gospel. No, we've got, received new revelations of the old gospel. We've received you know, a clearer, a clearer image of that. There are things that were spoken of by the prophets that they believed, but they did not fully understand. But now in these last days, we do fully understand those things. They have been revealed to us. And that is a wonderful thing. And that about these last days, all that has been revealed, all that has been given, and so that's what Peter is talking about right there. And so when he's referring to the last time, our last days, it was in that it was in his time that he was living in. In Jude 1, 17, it says, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. Now, why is he bringing this up? Is he telling about something to come in the future? No, he's, he's dealing with false prophets they were dealing with right then during that time and he's letting them know hey this is what you were told was going to happen in the last days what we are seeing right now is what was prophesied so jude also showed that they were in those last days then at that time so understand folks the last days started in the first century but i believe the last days have continued in to today and I believe that because the condition of the world is the same. We have not received any new revelations about our salvation that uh, go beyond what we see in the Bible. Everything that we know, everything that we believe comes from the scriptures that we have. And so we still have the same knowledge. We still have the same salvation. We still have all the same problems. We still have the same challenges. Everything is the same because we are in the same days. They just began then during that time. The last days started, you could say, at Pentecost. That's when it started, and they are still going, and they will go. And when will the, what will be the last day of the last days? The resurrection will be the last day of the last days. And so what I want to do right now, I do want to look at a couple problem passages. Okay, a couple problem passages. Now, I'm doing this to kind of put a challenge out there too. I am a pre-wrath, pre-millennial believer. I, 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 have, I believe in a literal coming millennial kingdom. That is my position, and I have a lot of reasons for that. But I will admit that uh, my position on that is not as strong as I would like it to be. And I... I want to be challenged on this because I do want to strengthen uh, my position on this. I don't know as much about the millennium as I feel like I should. I also do not know much about other positions when it comes to 
the millennium. I, I really don't. And so I would like to know more uh, about those other positions. And so I, I do want to put an invite out there to preferably, if I can't get them, I'll, I'll, I'll go with the other, but I would prefer fundamental Baptist King James guys that are post-millennial or amillennial. I want to challenge them on these things. I'm not, I don't want to debate you. I don't want to argue with you. I don't want to try to make you look bad. I want to understand the position. Here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to get a premillennial Baptist to tell me what a non-millennial or a post-millennialist believe because I don't trust Baptists in what they say about other people's beliefs. All right, am I saying they all are liars when it comes to this thing? No, I'm sure there's some honest ones out there, but I've seen too many guys who have cried wolf and just lied and misrepresented other people's positions too much. I don't trust Baptists in general when it comes to that. I would rather I will hear it from the the so-called heretic before I will hear what you have to say about it. Baptists have proven themselves untrustworthy in what they say about other people's positions, and Baptists just need to own up to that. It's just a fact. You stink at it. Your Baptists are so insecure in their beliefs that when destroying other people's beliefs, they typically need to misrepresent them. That's a shame. We shouldn't need to do that. If their beliefs are that bad, you know, let's just clearly articulate what they are in an accurate way and show where they're wrong. But Baptists are horrible at that. So I, I'm, I do want to put an invite to uh, amillennialist, postmillennialist, and, and even some premillennialist uh, to talk about this because I think it's important that we strengthen our position on this. But let me go to these problem passages too because the last days for sure started in the first century. I don't think anybody can argue with me on that. Okay, now maybe you can argue about it ending in the first century that's another subject I don't, you know, that maybe a post-millennial or amillennial person might believe. Uh, you Then you have to explain to me why the condition is still exactly the same as it was in the first century. But here's here's some passages that we see. So first, let's, let's go ahead and go to, um, let's go to Genesis first. Genesis is the first place we see the last days referred to. Now I'm going to give a short explanation of this, as short as I possibly can, which will probably make a lot of people mad. But... Um, uh, if you want to challenge me on this, I, I could always talk more about it. But in Genesis 49, Jacob is blessing his 12 sons. And it says, verse 1, Jacob called his sons together and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Gather yourselves together and hear ye sons of Jacob and hearken unto Israel your father. Some, are take, some will take this and are literally using this passage and trying to connect it to current events going on with Israel today. And that is so wrong. It is so messed up. The reason they the, the reason so many people mess the last day stuff of the Old Testament up is because they are still obsessed with Israel. They have Israel-based theology rather than Jesus-based theology. And many people, when they go to Genesis 49, they are focusing on Israel rather than focusing on Jesus. And you miss the point of this entire prophecy. Let me briefly explain what this entire prophecy is all about. Jacob, the leader of Israel, the leader of this new nation, is blessing his sons, and he's also passing authority because each of his 12 sons are not to become their own nation. They are to be 12 separate tribes within one nation. And so while he leaves a blessing for all of his sons, we see the main things we ought to get from this is one, that Reuben, 
loses the right of firstborn because of what he had done with his father's concubine. Simeon and Levi didn't receive it either because of what they had did and, and destroying the city because of what had happened with their sister. Judah is the one that authority gets passed to. He is the one who is to be the leader of the other tribes. That's relevant to all of Israel, that Judah is to lead all the other tribes. And it is also in there too, it's prophesied that the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come and unto him should the gathering of the people be. This is all about the Messiah. The Messiah that they were waiting for is going to come through Judah. Ultimately, this is a prophecy about Jesus. And so we do not need to look for any type of fulfillment of anything in Genesis 49 after Shiloh came. Once Shiloh, that was for all of Israel. That was for all of Israel right there. That was mainly what this is all about. Many of those other specifics that he talks about in there, you can see examples of those things being fulfilled in the book of Judges. So when anybody to take Genesis 49 and try to connect it to current events going on in Israel, they are biblically illiterate. Okay, This is mainly about Judah getting the transfer of authority and the Messiah is going to come through Judah. And guess what? That came. When did that come? In the last days. 2,000 years ago. So, you know, don't, don't ever let anyone take Genesis 49 and try to connect it to current events. That's, that's ridiculous just because it says last days. Last days were in the first century, started in the first century. So um, so th that's not a problem passage. Where the problem passages are is in uh, Isaiah and Micah. Isaiah 2 and Micah 4, they are very similar. I'm not even going to go to Micah 4 for time's sake, but they are very similar. And in Isaiah chapter 2 says, The word that came that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, and it shall come to pass in the last days. Okay, we're in the last days. We've been in the last days for 2,000 years. What's supposed to happen in the last days? The mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem and he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come ye, and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Now, folks, that did not physically happen in the first century. That still has not happened, physically speaking. Now, if you want to say it spiritually has taken place, because I do believe that Jesus Christ set up a kingdom, not a physical one. But what did Jesus say? My kingdom is not of this world. But Jesus did set up a kingdom in the first century. I believe in Daniel chapter 2, verse 34, when it talks about, thou sawest till a stone was cut without hands and smote the image upon his feet. They were iron and clay and break them to pieces. Then was the iron and clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain that filled the whole earth. And I think believe that's a reference to the growing of Christ's kingdom. So is that still to come or is that something that's happened? You say, well, it's happened spiritually, but it's going to come physically. That's my position. But again, it did happen spiritually. How sure are we 
that these things are physical as well. I, I think we need to make sure we can we can prove these things. We can back things up. And I do. I believe that mountain is a reference to a kingdom. Just like in Revelation 17, we saw the seven mountains. You know, that the uh, the I think the great horse sits on or that the beast uh, is over or is a part of. Well, let's go ahead and read it. Revelation 17, 8. The beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell in the earth shall wonder whose names are not written in the book of life. From the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And there are seven kings, five are fallen, one is, the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And I believe those mountains are referred to world kingdoms. That, that's what I believe about that. Now, preterists say that it was about Roman emperors. Uh, but those Roman emperors were all a part of the Roman Empire, one kingdom, one mountain. and uh, But they used that so they can make Nero the seventh, and that way they can you know use that to show that the Revelation predates 70 AD. I think that's a really bad interpretation. This is referring to seven kingdoms. Okay? And so I believe that mountain that grows is referring to the kingdom of Christ. So here's the thing. If the kingdom of Christ did come in the first century and it grew and spread all the world in the first century, we know that was spiritual and not physical. So we need to make sure we have plenty of proof that a physical one is to come as well. And that's typically what my position is. But what I do want to do, I do want to take some time in these next weeks, depending on when I can line people up. But I I, I do want to talk to premillennialists, Amillennialists, postmillennialists, preferably ones that aren't heretics, and I, I, you know, I, I'm having a hard time finding an amillennialist that isn't a heretic. Most of them are like Calvinists and stuff, but at the same time, I can't prove that amillennialism is like some damnable heresy. Um, maybe it is if, if everybody that believes it is a heretic, but I don't know. Maybe there are some good ones out there. I hope you'll identify yourself, and even if even if you didn't want to talk to me publicly on here, which I would love it if you did. Even if you wanted to reach out and talk to me privately, I promise I won't give your name out and expose you or anything like that. I'm really curious as to what you have to say about some of these things. I believe when it comes to teaching on the millennium, most of it that I hear is from people in the pre-trib camp, and they make it all about Israel. They are dead wrong, without a doubt, on Israel. They're very dispensational in their thinking, and it's I think I think there's a ton of error associated with premillennialism. That does not believe that does not mean there is not a literal millennial kingdom coming with Christ. But I will say that in the premillennialist camp, it is riddled full of just t- clear errors. So when it comes to amillennialism, I've only heard what the premillennialists say about them. When it comes to postmillennialists, I only heard what the premillennialists say about them, and they've proven they can't be trusted and what they say about other people. So I'm willing to talk on this. So I'm hoping if you all will help me get this out there, maybe give me some recommendations, give me some names of people I can talk to on this. That would be a huge blessing. I will be respectful. I will, uh, you know, I I will, I, I would like to kind of grill you on these things, but I'm not going to challenge you, debate you, try to make you look bad or anything like that. I genuinely want to know because I do want to strengthen my position when it comes to the millennium. 
And I want to make sure, too, that we're not just misusing terms and, and just making some of the dumb mistakes that so many are. And, and I'm telling you, almost everybody, when you call them out on factually wrong things that they say about the last days, when you call them out, they admit it because it's that clear. But yet we continue saying these things. It just shows how brainwashed we are from these bad eschatology books. And we've got to get over this stuff. So anyway, I uh, hope this was a bit of a challenge to you and hope you learned something from it. And I uh, hope you will give me some recommendations for people from the different millennial camps. And I think we'll have some great conversations, assuming people are willing uh, to reach out and or to allow me to reach out to them and then respond publicly. So thank you all for watching this. Please help me spread the word. We'll see you all next time.